0: It's all Greek to me. This is Industry Focus. Hello, everyone. My name is Gabby Lapera, and I'm the new host of the Financials Edition. Joining us this week are John Maxfield on the phone and Christine Harges, the new host of the Industry Focus podcast on healthcare. Um, We've got a great show lined up for this week on the Greek debt crisis and austerity measures. Um, Just for a little bit of background, I know we've talked about Greece and its financial woes on the program before, but can we kind of get a little bit of an idea of exactly how dire the current economic situation is, maybe Maxfield?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at kind of where Greece is today, to put it into context, it's basically where the United States was during the Great Depression, if not a little bit worse. So just two, two figures to throw out there. First, between 2009, when Greece's GDP maxed out. And today, it's fallen by, according to Trading Economics, which it gets its data from the United Nations, it's fallen by 42%. United States, during the Great Depression, it fell a maximum of 30%. So it just goes, it's almost like looking at GDP alone, it's roughly 50% worse than the Great Depression. And then the second piece is unemployment. And unemployment in Greece right now, according to my stats, is 25%. Uh, and that was the peak uh, in the Great Depression in the United States.
0: So, what, is, what does unemployment look like right now in the United States, just for reference?
1: So, for reference right now, the Federal Reserve says that a, a rate between 5 and 5.2% is really the target rate that you want the United States economy to be at. And right now, we're just above that at 5.3%. It's
0: Good for us. Um, so, the GDP seems to be a really important metric or component to, to thinking about this. Um, what about debt? Because that's what everyone's talking about when it comes to Greece. So one of the really important things to look at when
2: you're thinking about debt is the ratio of the deficit to GDP. Um, Right now, when you look at Greece, they've got this huge figure of, I think it's around 175% is that ratio for them. Which, when you look at that, it's really just not sustainable at all. I think it's the second worst uh, debt to GDP ratio in the world right after Japan. But when you look at that, the question that is raised there is, is the situation so dire because of the debt, or is it really the other side of that ratio? Is it the GDP?
1: Right. And that's exactly the point. So if Greece's GDP had stayed the same as it was in 2009, and when you consider how far its debt level has fallen since then... Its debt-to-GDP ratio would actually only be 100%, which may sound like a lot, but, but in the whole scheme of things, it's actually pretty small, and it's almost the, the, the lowest level Greece's debt-to-GDP has been in roughly a decade.
0: So um, GDP for other, for other countries, the GDP-to-debt ratio, like say for Germany or something like that, is it, is it higher or lower than Greece's is right now?
1: So I actually don't know what Germany's debt-to-GDP ratio is right now, Um, but traditionally, Japan is a a good example because it has a very robust um, financial market. For its debt securities. And that really is the big issue, right? Like, uh. it, will you be able to sustain those debt levels because investors will still continue to buy your government bonds? And Japan's well above 200% in its debt to GDP ratio. So if you're looking exclusively at that, and there's a lot of other pieces to this puzzle, but if you're looking exclusively at that, certainly at a 100%, if, if, if its GDP is stayed the same, Greece is, Greece's debt to GDP ratio is very reasonable.
0: So um, are there any options for the for the Greek government to address the situation? Like I know we talked about earlier monetary and fiscal policy. Is there a difference between those two? Yeah, so this is something that's kind
2: of fundamental to understand when you're talking about the levers that one can pull when you're trying to address an economy that's in crisis. So you've got, on one hand, your fiscal policy, and that's, that's your government spending. And on the other hand of that, you have monetary policy. So these are two very separate things. Monetary policy, of course, is has to do with the control of the supply of money in a nation, the management of interest rates, and it's traditionally carried out by a central bank. The problem is if we're talking about the U.S., there are plenty of levers that our central bank can pull. But the thing is, you look over at Greece, they don't have those options available to them because they're part of this larger economic and political union where the European Central Bank, the ECB, they're the ones that would be pulling these levers, and they're not making decisions just based on Greece. They have the entire union to look at.
0: So what about uh, fiscal policy?
1: Well, the big question with physical policy right now is, you know, when you're talking about austerity, what is austerity, right? Austerity is where you decrease the amount of public spending a particular government uh, is spending, right? So you, you want to decrease government expenditures. That's what austerity is. Well, what we have seen over the past 100 years, at least in the United States, is that when you do that in the midst of an economic downturn, it will aggravate the situation. We saw that in 1937, in kind of a, the second piece of the Great Recession, when we started scaling back government expenditures after the New Deal, that kicked us into another deep uh, economic downturn. And then we've, we've seen, you know, in the difference between how the United States dealt with the financial, the most recent crisis, relative to how Europe has dealt with the crisis. In 2009, we came in with an $800 billion stimulus package. Um, and even though a lot of economists didn't think that was enough, the central bank supplemented that with a number of um, non-traditional monetary policy tools, what are known as principally quantitative easing. But because we did that, we were able to then reverse what was happening with our unemployment rate and bring it back down to, like we said at the beginning, 5.3%. Well, because those expenditures have gone in the, different, in the opposite direction for Europe, a lot of mainstream economists, or kind of the consensus view, is that that decrease in public expenditures is what caused unemployment to go to the rate that it has and and, and aggravated that, that decline in GDP.
2: One of the interesting things that kind of you're bringing up with this issue is that there's been a, a resurgence of belief in Keynesian economics. And uh, of course, this is the, the school of uh, economics where the theory says that the government can actually stimulate an economy by spending, particularly when the economy is going through a rough patch. And so this theory had kind of lost popularity in around the 70s. But we're now seeing more of a resurgence of it, particularly after the Great Recession and now looking at Greece. There are quite a few people that are pointing to Keynes' theories again and questioning whether or not that could come into play here.
1: Yeah, and so what's so interesting about Keynesianism is that you know we talk about investing a lot. And you can make a, a really close analogy between what Keynesianism tells us about how to manage a government economy and how to successfully invest. Because we know that in, in investing, the, the way you're going to have the most success watching people like Warren Buffett and the like is to act counter-cyclically, right? When stocks and other type of securities prices are low, that's when you buy when, when they're high, that's when you sell. Well, it's kind of the same idea um, in terms of government finances. When the economy is going really, really well, that's when you want your government to save and to build up a surplus. And then when the economy is doing poorly, you want it to come in and kind of backfill that drop in consumer demand to stop the economy from just spiraling downwards out of control.
2: And, of course, when you look at GDP, those are some of the components that you just mentioned. So G- GDP is composed of consumer spending, uh, you've got government spending, uh, investment spending, as in what the businesses of the country are spending on capital, not quite investment in the way that we think of it at The Motley Fool. Um, and then there's also an element there of uh, the nation's total net exports. But to your point about consumer spending being lower – the theory here is that, okay, well, that's only one component of this GDP equation. And so if you can boost the government spending part of that,
1: then you could boost GDP, theoretically. That is exactly right. And the other component, I'm actually glad you, you, you broke it down like that, because the other component of GDP is the difference between your net imports and your net exports, right? So, And then what that tells us is that in a situation where your exports can have the flexibility to increase by a large amount, they can actually help offset some of that decline in consumer demand. So the question is, well, how do you boost exports in a situation like this? Well, traditionally, if Greece was still on, say, the drachma, and let's say Germany was still on the mark, what would happen is with Germany's strong economy and Greece's weak economy, the drachma would fall in value relative to the mark. And that would make things like olives, olive oil, and ships that were built in Greece cheaper to export or to purchase from other countries, which would then come back in and help that GDP figure. But because all of the European countries are locked into a monetary union, for better or for worse, and I have a tendency to believe that it's for the best when you look at things geopolitically, but because they're locked in at those exchange rates, that mechanism to adjust is just not available anymore for Greece. So
0: a few weeks ago, uh, there was a confrontation with, between the Eurozone leaders in Greece, and Greece threatened to leave the Eurozone and go back to the drachma. Would
1: that have worked out great for them based on what we're talking about? In my opinion, that it, 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 you have to look at that in both the short-term implications of that decision and the long-term implications of that decision. So as a general rule, if, say, Greece were to leave the European Union, which the way that union was structured, much like the United States, when we put ours together, there isn't an exit strategy. They didn't really anticipate that. And and they probably didn't anticipate it on purpose, right? Because they didn't want it to seem like you could just break apart this great union really easily. So short term, the drachma would probably devalue very, very quickly, which would cause substantial inflation. Uh, that seems to be the most likely outcome. Um, but that would then presumably boost its exports over a slightly longer term. Um, so that would give it you know, the, the chance, perhaps, for its economy to improve over a decade or two. But the other thing to keep in mind over the long term is that you, know, you have three really large currencies in the world right now, between the euro, the, uh, the Chinese currency, and the U.S. dollar and a small currency like the drachma, it would be like sailing you know, just a tiny little raft in a huge sea or storm on the sea. I mean, you'd just be thrown around all over the place. So it would be a very difficult environment in which to operate for Greece.
2: That's a really awesome visual. <laughs> it yeah, is.
1: Yeah, and, and it's, it's one of the things, you know, we, we've seen this with the South and Central American company, or countries over the past couple of decades where you know they will you know they're small economies but so they'll try to figure out ways to reduce this these large increases or decreases in capital flight from their countries because of these changes in currencies and it's just it's just proved to be a nut that they haven't been able to crack yet
0: so it sounds like Greece still has a rocky road ahead of it along with probably the rest of the eurozone as they try and figure out what exactly they're going to do um, it seems that austerity measures might not be the answer because they've been trying that for a while. And as we have discussed, it doesn't really seem to particularly be working.
1: Um, are there any last thoughts that either of you want to add? My, my last thought is that we know it's not that we can say definitively one way or another whether austerity uh, will push an economy or, or, or make it you know, as bad as it is in Greece. But we can certainly say that, it you know, these extreme austerity measures have done nothing to push Greece in particular out of its crisis.
2: I think that speaks on a broader note that so we've talked a lot about economic theories on this particular episode. And I just want to throw it out there that all these theories are based on these assumptions about people being rational and all the components of our economy working together in this very, maybe not predictable, but at least sensical sort of way we don't have the art of economics down yet, because it is an art, you know, it's it's not quite a science, I would say. I mean, yeah, there there is that scientific element to it. But it really, it's much more of a, a fluid kind of study. And so we can't exactly predict what's going to happen next. You know, we don't have perfect theories yet. And so when we're looking at an issue like this, Anybody that comes in and says, oh, Keynesian economics can save us or austerity measures are going to save us, it's probably not going to be any one thing that does. And so I do think it'll be really interesting to just watch going forward and see what sort of school of thought does end up being most prominent and potentially
0: solving this issue. That was extremely well said, and I would like to end on a really good note just like that. So, um, that being said, as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell based solely on what you hear. Thank you very much for joining us on this week of Industry Focus Financials Editions. We're going to miss you very much, Christine. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I will second that. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited to work with Gabby, um, but Christine, it, it's really been a pleasure.
2: Cool, uh, working with you, uh, yeah, you, you as well, John, and I definitely hope to be back as a guest contributor for plenty of future episodes. Excellent.